Many people believe that in practice, there really aren't mamzerim anymore. Many people believe that in the very rare cases of potential mamzerut, it's taken care of swiftly. And many people also believe that if someone is declared a mamzer, there's nothing that can be done. My guest today says all three of these assumptions are wrong. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. In the Parsha that we're going to read this week, Kitetse, which incidentally has more mitzvot than any other Parsha in the Torah, we read, Lo yavo mamzer bikal Hashem. Gamdor asiri lo yavo lo bikal Hashem. A mamzer cannot come into the congregation of Hashem, that is, cannot marry somebody born Jewish. Even to the 10th generation, he may not join the congregation of Hashem. And as the Sifri explains, 10 generations here actually means that the Mamzer and his descendants are banned from marrying into the congregation no matter how many generations have passed. Many people assume that this is purely academic, that in practice there aren't Mamzerim anymore, and will define the concept of Mamzer presently. Others recognize that the problem of Mamzerim does exist, but it's best not to even discuss it. Rivka Lubitsch of the Center for Women's Justice, Merkaz Tzedek Lenashim, strongly disagrees with both of these assertions. You'll find out why in just a minute. First, let me remind you to please subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join and participate in The Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. Also go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. Just search for The Orthodox Conundrum, give it between zero and five stars, and write a sentence or two. I'd also like to ask you to become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are available only to subscribers. You'll also be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, halakhically committed, and honest orthodoxy. So make sure you sign up to Patreon right away. It's just a few bucks a month, and you can cancel at any time. We're looking forward to your joining our team on Jewish Coffeehouse. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to reach hundreds or even thousands of listeners? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can help you start. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in a single day or record, relax, and let us do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work for you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let us help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and sign up for a free 30-minute consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. Rivka Lubitsch works for the Center for Women's Justice, Merkaz Tzedek Lenashim. She is a veteran Toanet Rabbanit and is one of the leaders in the fight on behalf of Agunot and Mamzerim in Israel. She has written and lectured extensively about feminism and religion. She's a published author and has written hundreds of blog posts and articles, including weekly columns on Ynet and NRG Ma'ariv. Last year, she created a forum to find a solution to the problems of Mamzerut. I hope that everyone listening to this episode gives serious thought to what Rivka suggests. I have no doubt that many of you will disagree with some of her solutions. 
that doesn't change the reality that the issues that she raises are unquestionably real. Rivka Lubitsch, thank you for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum podcast. Thank you for having me. Before we begin, I want to make sure that our listeners understand what exactly a mamzer is and the concept of mamzer root. It's not being illegitimate. A child born out of wedlock is not a mamzer. The halacha of mamzerut, as we understand it, as it's paskind, although it actually is a machloket, an argument in the Talmud, is that a relationship that would be prohibited with a penalty of karet, excision, if that relationship produces a child, that child is a mamzer, and the most obvious case would be a case of adultery, which can also simply mean when the wife never received a get from her husband, and then she has a child with somebody else, correct? Right, right. So what, what I usually say is there are three categories. Um, the one category of mamzerut is what we would call maybe incest or ha- relations between family. It's not exactly the same as what we think of it in regular law, but it's kind of like it. And the second category is a woman who is married in a religious marriage, who has relations and has a child with somebody else who is not the husband and who is Jewish, because if he's not Jewish, then the child is not a mamzer. That would be the second category. And uh, the third category is being born of a mamzer, because the mamzerut doesn't go away. Uh, the Torah says it's up till 10 generations, but it really, the, the, the rabbis paskin that it's forever. So if you're a child, and, and, and then it doesn't matter if it's one parent or two parents or whatever, it's forever and ever. Rivka, why don't you explain, what does it mean when someone's a mamzer? Obviously, it's a very unfortunate title, but it actually has halachic ramifications in terms of who that child is allowed to marry. Right. So that's basically the issue. The Torah says, Lo mamzer No mamzer shall be admitted into the congregation of the Lord. And the idea is that you cannot marry. The only person that you can marry would be a convert. Uh, which doesn't say much of what Judaism thinks of converts, that they're basically not called part of Kahal Hashem. And then the child of that couple would be also a mamzer. That's basically it. I've heard somewhere that in some places they don't bury the mamzer inside, you know, leave them outside somewhere, Machorea Gader, but I'm not sure that that's absolutely halachic, and basically there's no other thing, but, you know... If well, mamzer could also marry another mamzer, isn't that correct? Yeah, mamzer can marry a mamzer, right. I forgot about that one. But the problem is that a mamzer isn't allowed to marry someone who is a safek mamzer, because if you are a safek mamzer, you may not be a mamzer. So a safek mamzer, which most people and a safek mamzer probably, means a questionable mamzer, just for the listeners. Right. So if you're a safek mamzer, then you really can't marry anybody because you never know if you're really a mamzer or not and they're really a mamzer or not. But, but you know, somebody once suggested, let's have a shidduch thing between mamzerim, but nobody, a person who is a mamzer doesn't really want to couple up with another mamzer. They just want to, I don't know what sort their issue out or hide or they just leave religion or specifically in Israel they leave the country so but that's that's another story what I would like to actually do now is tell you the three things that we always thought were true and what I discovered are not true okay please yes okay so I grew up in religious schools and this is these are things that we were all told and we all know this and it's only been in the past 10, 15 years that I've been discovering that all these things are wrong, but everyone else still believes it. 
three things. Number one is that there are no mamzerim. You know, most people think that there are no mamzerim. I've spoken to people in Israel, in America, religious people, non-religious people, conservative rabbis, <laughs> people, uh, you know, lay people, and everyone thinks there are no mamzerim. Absolutely not true. There are mamzerim. Number two, if there are mamzerim, the rabbis sort it out immediately because the Talmud has all these ways of figuring out how to help these people. And so basically it's, it's all a theoretical thing because if there are mamzerim, they get sorted out. And number three is that if you didn't get sorted out, then there really is nothing to be done and you're doomed and you know we really can't help the mamzer and this these are beliefs that everyone holds even the mamzerim themselves and one of the biggest problems here is that they can't even get together the mamzerim because nobody knows that they're mamzerim nobody knows about them and they don't know about each other and they don't they don't recognize each other so each mamzer thinks that you know, their problem can only be solved in a certain way. So they don't have a voice. They don't have any organization or anything like that. So we can start talking about all these three things. I want to ask you about the very first one. I want to go through each of them, though. The idea that people assume that there are no mamzerim. And I've heard that as well. I've heard people say, when I told people I was going to talk about this with you, right? some were like, is that really a problem? Meaning right. we know it exists as a theoretical template on the right. books in your Bible, but in practice... It's right. always taken care of. And in, in Lamasse, as they say, there's, there's no such thing anymore. And you're saying, in I'm practice, saying that's not all. true. There are mamzerim out there who are prohibited Absolutely. from marrying in Israel. There are mamzerim. And the problem is that the reason we don't get it solved is because people think there are no mamzerim. So one of the things that we want to do is get out there and tell people there are mamzerim. Okay, so there are mamzerim. There is a blacklist in Israel that the state holds. And it has, it used to have thousands of people in it of all kinds thousands. of reasons. Yeah, not only mamzerim, that you can be a convert that the state has decided your conversion is not really true, or you can be asura all kinds of reasons that you cannot marry. One of them is mamzerut. There were many people in this list. The list got cut down. At this moment right now, there are a few hundred people on the list, but... What we're talking about are people that are almost on the list. The, the mamzerut isn't only the problem of the people that are on the list. It's a problem of people that can fall into that list and are threatened to be, to be on the list. What does that mean? Okay, what does that mean? So here's the story. Here's the issue that we have to understand. There are two things we have to understand to, to explain this whole thing. One is that the state and religion in Israel are together on this, and that's one of the biggest problems. That's w one of the reasons that the problem in Israel cannot be solved, and it's actually getting worse. That's the number one, but we'll get back to that. The other thing is, what we have to understand is, something that used to be a solution is not a solution today. And here, here's what it is. The Talmud says, there's a klal, a chazakah, that says, rov bilot acharabal. That is, if you're married and you have children, the assumption is that the children are children of the husband. So even if you have a, a flirt with somebody else and everyone knows and the child is born of a different color or what have you, the rabbis will come and say, Rov and this child is not a mamzer, he's the son or the daughter of the husband. 
Now, the truth is that it used to be good for everybody. That used to be a perfect solution. And it almost always would work because a woman who was in a, in a, in a marriage wouldn't want to break up the marriage because of whatever reason. Mm-hmm. She, she wouldn't want to be divorced. The child wants to have a father. The real biological father probably doesn't want to have this kid that he, he, you know, he didn't do this on purpose. This was a mistake. And uh, most probably it's better for the husband who doesn't have his family broken up and have the whole society think of him as a joke. And we know that there are studies that tell us that in all in all societies, there are children that are not the sons of the husband of the mother. I'm guessing that nowadays, some of those assumptions are no longer as true as they used to be. Perhaps it's more likely that a family is willing to be broken up. Right. Today, that's not the case because women, more and more women are getting divorced and more and more women are becoming misoravotket uh, agunot because husbands are understanding that they can withhold back the get. And most of these children that are born are born from women who have separated from their husband and now are with another man. They didn't realize that becoming pregnant is a problem or they thought that if they're just about to get the get, then the child will not be a mamzer. But most of them don't even know about this issue of mamzerut. And the child is born, but the mother doesn't want the child to be enlisted as the child of the husband or the ex-husband, because by now, most of the time, she's usually divorced already. She's already started a new family. Maybe the husband is even, her new husband or her boyfriend is is maybe raising this child. Maybe he's helping her raise the other children also. And in the meantime... This child, the state comes and has a law saying in order to so-called save this child and say, according to the halakha, rov bilot and they say that this child that was born up till 300 days after the divorce must be enlisted according to the, to the ex-husband's uh, name. Now, what happens is these children grow up and according to law, their father is someone who's not their father at all. He could do anything he wants. He can go and take them from school and the police can't say anything. But wait a minute. That does solve the problem of Mamzirut, though. Doesn't that avoid that issue? It might have other okay, problematic consequences, but in we terms should, of Mamzirut. What we should do is, and what would happen in America, let's say, or in other countries is that there's um, hafrada, there's separation between state and, and religion. So the state would say that this child is the son of so-and-so. And then the rabbis would come when the child gets, wants to get married and say, you know what? You're really not halachically the son of the person you think you are. We don't care what the, what the loss, we don't care what the, what the rishum is. But you're actually Rov and you are kosher. But they wouldn't take it the step uh, a step ahead by saying that now you have to have his last name. You'll be under his name. If you want to do any medical procedure, you're going to have to need his uh, consent, etc., etc. Now, what happens to these children is that they don't understand why they're written on somebody else's name. And the only way, you know, how much can you lie to them? They actually live in a, in a big lie because the mother constantly has to explain to them why their last name is something else. 
and why, you know, why the father can't be thought of as their father. Yeah. But let's get back to the issue of Mamzerut, though, because in terms of Mamzerut, this sounds like a solution, even if it has other problems. This sounds like the government is actually taking care of Mamzerut, even though it causes other issues. When are there cases where there actually are Mamzerim, where they're on the blacklist, where you can't solve it with the Chazaka of Rov Bilot Achar Habal, that we assume that the official husband is the father? Well, the truth is that you can solve this issue of Mamzerut almost always with Rov Bilot Achar Habal. But another problem with having state and, and religion together is that if you want to solve the issue, you have to go to a specific Dayan that the state has now made you go to because there is the bureaucracy of Bet Mishpat, because you're going in front of a, a, a regular... In other words, in Israel, you have secular courts and you have religious courts, right. and the right. two don't always work together, even though both are empowered by the government. Right, and you would have to go to this religious court in order, in order to solve this problem. Whereas in any other country, you'd be able to go to your local rabbi. If not your local rabbi, you'd be able to go to some Talmud Chacham or somebody else to solve the problem, you wouldn't, have to, you wouldn't have to open a file, to open a tik through the Medina, and to have everything documented properly. You could just, I could in fact take a case. In fact, we've done these things before. We've taken cases to rabbis that we know of as Talmidei Chachamim that can solve issues. And they've said to us, you know what? This is not a problem. This can be solved easily. I could easily say rov bilot acharabal or do hafkaat kiddushin because of various reasons. But when hafkaat kiddushin means retroactively uprooting the marriage. Yes, but when I go to the bedin, I am going to a specific dayan that the medina that the state has decided that I have to go to that person and he's the only one that can solve this problem. And if he decides not to solve it, it it won't get solved, and he this child will be on the list that the state has put him on the list, and now the state will not allow this child to marry. Okay, wait. Why would a Dayan not try to help? I know there are good guys, I know there are bad guys, but one of the classic things we've always been taught is that rabbis always, always, always do everything in their power in order to avoid problems of mamzerut, and that's considered a universal truth, that you can expect them to do whatever possible. It doesn't mean they can figure out every case, but they're going to try. So if one rabbi says, I can figure this out easily, as you said, why would a Dayan not try to work with him and say, let's see if we can find a way out, or if even to go to the point of saying, I can't find a way out, perhaps you should go to a different bait din, or some other thing like that, if someone says they can help. Why would that even happen anymore? Why should there even be a blacklist? Okay, I can answer that. I can give you a few answers to that question, because that's a great question. One answer is this one rabbi said to me, I, I just couldn't believe it. He said to me, when I brought him a case of a woman who was 40 years old and had a baby. Her husband was not found. He was a poshea, a mafionaire. Say that in English. He was a criminal. Yeah. I and, think it's very clear. <laughs> from the mafia. And I had all the reasons to do hafkat kiddushin. It was amazing. I had all the reasons and I brought documents. It was an amazing, simple case. To uproot the marriage retroactively, meaning that there's no need for a get from the mafioso because she was never technically married to him, which means that any child born from the second marriage is totally legitimate. Right. And to save this daughter of hers. And the rabbi said to me, I don't need to save her because she's not in the list. 
she's not in the blacklist because she's written on the name of the husband who won't give the get. Now, the mother had said to me that she's so scared that the husband is going to abduct, that she's so scared that she won't let the daughter walk in the street alone because she's so scared because she said for him, it's he's she's a piece of meat. He will kidnap her and ask for money or whatever. So she was she was I, I think she was on pills with that issue and so anxious and in the meantime, the rabbi says to me, this doesn't need to be solved. It's not really an issue because, because she's not really on the list because she's on his name. But now this girl, when she comes to get married... Okay, I'm sorry, Rifka, let me just make sure I, I have the case clear. Yeah. The mother was originally married to the mafioso. Right. She then separated from him without ever receiving a get. Then... He disappears, goes underground. She has a child at the age of 40 when the doctor says to her, if you don't have this child, you're never going to be pregnant again. But so that's she, with the second husband, quote unquote. Yeah, this the boyfriend. Okay, the boyfriend. But officially, she is regarded by the law as the child of the first husband, even though biologically that's not true and practically it's not true. Right. In practice, she's not. But Ro Bilot Harhabal, we can work with they, that because they, she's technically no, married the to the first guy. the truth is that if they really want to be halachic, it's not Ro Bilot Harhabal because you have to at least be living with the guy to have uh-huh. Ro Bilot Harhabal. So there's no, there's no, if she comes to get married, the registrar is going to stop her and say, wait a minute, your mother, you're written on the name of your um, the, of this guy, but they actually, you know, who knows what you're telling me that your father is somebody else. Now, the only way she could possibly get through the registrar later on is for her to tell her daughter, you are a mamzera. The only way you can get through it is to lie and say that that's actually your father. That's the only But doesn't way the state say that also? Because you said on the blacklist, she's written as his daughter, right? She's not written on the blacklist at this point. Which means that they accept that the mafioso is actually her father, even though it's not true. Yes, but that doesn't mean she can't go onto the blacklist. She's uh, not meaning written. it's not a final. It's not final. No, it can always be updated. It's not final. It's just that if if a Diane decides to send a child to the blacklist, he can send her. It happens that she never be- came before a betin since she had this baby. So there was there was no way that the betin could have sent her. But the betin tomorrow can send her. So you're saying that she can go back onto the blacklist afterwards when she goes in front of a betin for the first time. They can suddenly right. say, wait, this you're not... Kid, this kid can get on the blacklist at any point of her life. In fact, there are some rabbis that when you come before them on other issues, they'll start checking into your children to see, oh, by the way, what about this kid? What about that kid? And we had a woman who went to get married and the register said, you know what? Just go to the bed, Dean. What's going on here? You have a child out of wedlock. That was a different kid. And when she went to the bed, Dean, they said, hey, but what about this one over here? Whose child is he? And they, they started looking into it. They could have at that point sent the child to the blacklist. Can I ask you a question about that? Because this is something that I've also always heard that you don't look into it. You just, you know, if there's no reason to look into it, if you're not faced with something which is obvious, you simply drop it. Why even ask questions? This so is that true or is that not true? is completely against halakha. Absolutely against halakha. The truth is it's not the betting that put up the blacklist. It's the state. 
It was Aaron Barak, the attorney general in 1976. And the reason that he did it was that before that, each moitzadatid or each local rabbi had a list of people that they thought were mamzerim. And you could get on that list even by rechilut or anything. Just gossip mongering, yeah. Anybody could get anybody on the list. Um, if you didn't like someone, you could call up the rabbi and say, I think so-and-so right. is a mamzer, and they would get on the list. Then Aaron Barak came along and said, you know what? This is not good. Let's put all the lists together and make new rules. You can only get on the list if a bedin puts you on the list or the registrar puts you on the list. And it, can, it can't be if, you're, if, it's not your, it's, if it's not discussing your case. That's not something that they keep to. They still put whoever they want on the list. So he thought he was doing a favor and making the list for Tzinata Prat. And for so, privacy purposes, yes. For privacy purposes, and the list can't really be opened by anybody. Um, the problem is he made the whole thing more official. And because of the machshevim, because of things that get computerized, you can't get off the list unless the Bedin comes and discusses and brings it up and talks about it. You know, and what if you what if you go? I, I had once a woman years ago who came to me and told me about her children and, and that are that are, may be mamzerim, and she wants to have more children. And she doesn't know what to do. The only way for her to solve this would be to go to the Bedin to bring up the subject to take the chance of them deciding that her two boys were mamzerim and hope that they'll decide that they're not. But the option of the Bedin deciding that they are is to, I think she just decided not to have any more kids. Where in the States or in any other place, you could just go to your local rabbi. The rabbi would say, listen, you're, they're not mamzerim. Don't worry, etc., etc." And then she would just go and have more children. Okay, let me ask you a question about that. It's almost a two-sided question. You say that in the States, for example, the rabbi will say, don't worry about it, they're not mamzerim. So the first half of the question is, how can he just decide that? And the second half is sort of the answer to that, which is, aren't we not supposed to investigate anyway unless it's a red flag in your face? So what exactly is happening here? Okay, so this case, for instance, this woman who came to me, she told me that she got married religiously in a place in Europe and her husband disappeared and w went to jail and she came to Israel without him. And then she has this boyfriend and had two children from him. Now, when I looked into her case, her husband was a complete criminal. And a Bedin could come and say, I found Chuvas of Ravavadia Yosef. When somebody is a criminal and they were already a criminal before you married them, you can say... And you, you just know, didn't know about it. This is a mekach ta'ut. I would not have married this guy if I thought he was a criminal. This is, this is basic stuff that you could say. Thereby uprooting the marriage from the beginning, which means she was never married and therefore does not require a get. Right. And this is something that any proper betin would do. I'm not saying that there are not cases that cannot be solved, but this was a case that could be solved. But what if it doesn't get solved in, in any place else in the world? She could go from one rabbi and he would say, you know what? I won't take this on my shoulders. Go to somebody else. And she'd go to somebody else until she would work it out. But here, the idea that she would have to go to the betin and open up this whole story is just crazy. And the other thing is that now that she can't open up the story, the, the whole thing is through the state. And that means that, you know, her children can be caught one day and not be able to marry. 
And the whole thing is crazy that the state, instead of coming and saying, you know what, we don't accept this whole thing of a mom's heir. We just allow people to marry. You religious people do whatever you want. Then the religious people would do it. They would find solutions. The rabbis would find solutions. They would be simpler and they would allow more liberal rabbis to find better solutions. But let me get back to what you asked before. Why are they not finding solutions? So I said one thing is that he didn't want to find the solution because he said she's not on the list. We're talking about the daughter of the mafioso. Yes, yes. And we could have easily said that, as you said from the tshuva of Chacham Avadia Yosef, that that was never a valid marriage. This guy was a mafioso. She didn't know about it. Clearly, you can do an uprooting of the marriage, and she was never married. So right. why not? In the, by the way, both stories, the husbands were criminals, the, 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 both what I told. But the first one, there were, I had more evidence. She bought the ring. She had it documented that the ring was hers. And he also was had a, a mental problem. He was in a and we and it was all proven. She had wait. Only, if she bought the ring, that means that it was never his ring, which means it was never a marriage in the first right. place. It happens that she had this document, and she also had document that in the army he was uh, tried to commit suicide, and he was put. He was mushpaz bikfia, and I say that in English. She had involuntarily this, incarcerated. She discovered all these things after after he. Uh, separated from her because somebody else was trying to sue him for something and that company discovered all these things. So she had all this information. I brought all this stuff in, in front of the rabbit and he said, no, I will not do anything because she doesn't have a problem because she's written on the on this husband's criminal husband's name. I'm trying to explain now what other reason. So here's the big reason, but I don't know if you're going to like this or the people who are listening to this podcast, but... I think that when people have power, they're not willing to give it up too fast. This is amazing power, amazing, crazy power that the rabbis, the Bedin, the Dayanim have over lives of people and over the whole country, the whole state of Israel, because this is the reason that they're holding the whole issue of divorce. The core issue of the Aguna is the issue of Mamzerut. That's why they don't give gets easily. That's why the Haron Barak allowed the Bedin to take all of the Samchuyot over the Gerushin. Even if you've married according to a civil marriage, you still have to go through the Bedin because everyone is afraid of this issue of Mamzerut. And it's very nice to have this amazing power that you can, in one decision, uh, you can make or break a person's life. And I want to tell you a story that I just uh, That's a pretty strong this. charge. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's a very, very heavy charge. It is a heavy charge, yes. I read a psaktin yesterday that my friend Nitsan sent to me. You know Nitsan, she's an attorney, works in Center for Women's Justice, where I work. And it just came out now, 2021 in May. A woman got divorced... And in her ketubah and in the divorce papers, her, the name of her father is written as Shalom. She gets married and she has two children. And then somebody discovers, I'm not sure who it is, that brings up the issue that actually his name was Shlomo. So now they bring her back and oh, they no. say, your get is pasul 
and we have to do a new get. She does a new get. And now the question is, are the children, these new two children, are they Mamzerim or not? And there's a long, I think it's 18 pages or something of discussion. And the Rav Rashid decides that they are not, they're only Chashash Mamzerim and they are not Mamzerim. This crazy thing that because of a Shalom or Shlomo, it's actually just, you know, a hey and a vav there, that you are going to ruin lives of children. But he has the power to save you. And not only that, by saving you, he is thought of as an amazing Talmud Chacham. And we all have to now bow down to him and say, thank you, thank you, God, for sending us this wonderful Rav Rashi. It, it makes me sick. <laughs> I think that religious women aren't going to stand for this a lot longer. If people understand what goes on, they're just going to say, you know what? We're not going to get married. We're not going to get married. Kedatz Moshe Israel. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute. Go ahead. What would you answer if somebody said, okay, Shlomo, Shalom, it seems ridiculous. But in practice, if somebody were to argue that if you look at Hilchot Gerushin, the laws of Gittin, the laws of how a person gets divorced, and the way the name is spelled does matter, that actually is a big section of, of Shulchan right. Aruch. They discuss how you spell different names. It's actually a very big issue. And if that halakhically is a problem, then let's forget the fact that we can lionize and make this person a hero because he found a way out. But in practice, what else are we supposed to do? Because halakhically it is a problem, assuming it is. Again, I'm playing devil's advocate here. But if it actually is a problem... Well, people will say, what am I supposed to do? If I accept right. that the halachic system is right. from the Ribbon Shalom and therefore it's actually a divine system, what can I do? How would right. you answer that? Okay. Well, thank you for asking me this question only now and not at the beginning because some of your listeners would have turned off it when they hear my answer. So my answer is going to be that I can't go back and tell you good or bad what was in the past, but some things have to change. Maybe it was a patriarchal system and it's wrong. Maybe in the past, this whole idea, it, it really goes back to the whole idea of Kinyan and that a woman who marries the husband and really takes her as part of him. I don't know how, how you say Kinyan in English, but there's... Acquisition. Acquisition. He acquisits her or whatever the word is. and um, Acquires, yeah. Acquires <laughs> Okay, I made up a word. <laughs> he acquires <laughs> her. And the only way out is if he absolutely agrees to let her out. And I don't think that was so great in the past. I can explain it and tell you why it would have been good. But it's not good today. And the rabbis have to have to admit it. And they have to start looking for ways, for different ways. I won't be the first person to say even among rabbis, to say that, uh, you know, we have to make some changes. Just like we've, you know, we don't do Ben Sorero Moret today, and we don't do Skila for people who are Mechal Shabbos. And I'm sure that people who are listening to you don't want to go back to that. We do not pray that we'll be go back to the system of whatever it's called, capital punishment. Capital punishment, right. Yeah, we, we don't believe in that. And you know what? With a Ben Sorer Moret, we don't even say, you know what? We have to kill you. Let's bring you to the bedding and then let's look for reasons not to kill you. <laughs> we don't do that. We're just, we just got out of the whole thing. 
And I think that on the list of things that we aren't doing today because we believe that Judaism is moral and that we are, you know, we're doing the right thing and that God is good. One of those things should be getting rid of the mamzerut issue. And whatever it takes, it takes. And you think that that should be a priority that however we explicate the psukim, darshan it out, but effectively to find a way to make yes. this in practice like Ben Sorero Mora or like uh, Abaita Menuga, yes. a leprous house, which we say just doesn't exist anymore, to effectively right. should, eliminate it from practical halacha. Absolutely. There should be a pizaron, I, I say this in Israel, a big solution, a pizaron kolilaniu mekif, not a mikre mikre, not a each time that we come to it, we solve it. There's got to be a big solution. That solution can be... We today are not Talmidei Chachamim enough to be able to say about someone that they're a mamzerot, to be able to take them out of mamzerut. Or we can come and say, you know what, just like we don't know who the Amalek are, just like there's no Tumat Metim because we're all Tamei, maybe we're all mamzerim and, and we can't, you know, we're not holy enough. I don't care what the solution is, but there's got to be a big solution. And I believe that the reason that we don't have a solution is because people don't really understand what the problem is and how much people are suffering from it. And I think it's important for me to tell our listeners who aren't seeing you and who don't know you as I know you, that Rivka, you are a religious woman. You are coming from a place of loving Torah, not chas trying to undermine it. You're trying to find a way to make it stronger. I think that's a fair thing to say. People shouldn't think, they may disagree with what you're saying, but they should know you're coming from a place of love of Torah, not the opposite. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Before we go, Rivka, I want to ask you one more question. How did you get involved in this, and what are you doing practically to advance this cause? Um, okay, I got involved with it because I've been working with Agunot for many years. And the truth is, many years ago, I heard a woman who, who was an Agunot for many, many, many years. Her husband said to her, I will not give you a get until you cannot have any babies. And she told us, that she got pregnant and aborted the child. And she said, that child should be today 21 years old. And he says, why didn't you, why did you abort me? And that, that story really moved me. And it's been with me for many, many years. And, and I've basically decided that I'm working on the topic of Mamzerut and, and, and that nobody really is, is with it. So Susan Weiss, together with me from uh, Center for Women's Justice, and now it's uh, Nitsan Kaspishiloni. We're all into the issue of Mamzer. We're trying to we're trying to bring out the idea. I've uh, started a forum called Dimata Shukim, and Tears of the Oppressed. Right, Tears of the Oppressed. We've gotten together a whole lot of people. I now have a hundred people with us. I've opened uh, a page. It's in Hebrew, but sometimes we bring things in English. We now have a position paper that maybe we'll put it in the on the notes here. I have it in English. And we're basically saying that we would like to find a religious uh, solution for this. And we would like the state to keep out of uh, the issue and not uh, try and make believe that they're religion and find so-called religious solutions. That's what we're okay. basically saying. Okay, well, Rivka, this has been fascinating. A friend of mine always says this podcast is called The Orthodox Conundrum. He said, you need more conundrums. I think today we succeeded in getting a conundrum here. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. And while I'm sure that many of the listeners are not going to agree with everything that you said, 
I am sure that you've caused everybody listening to think about things in ways they may not have in the past. So thank you. Thank you very much. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamanides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum Podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, The Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.